Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of March 2022, and goddamn, Kyle, I, I just don't have it in me to do a straight-up film a- analysis today. No. So no. What, what are we doing today, Kyle? I guess we could call this March Madness. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we're kind of taking a break. There's uh, five Tuesdays in March, and that's you know kind of a tall order for the month that we the theme that we did have uh, in mind for this month. Um, also, just the current events going on. We're like, let's take the week off and just let's just chat about what we've been watching recently. Yeah. So, folks at home, uh, there's a lot of shit going on in the world. It's not all happy news. Uh, so we're just feeling a little beat down just didn't have it in us to do you know a whole lot of research or analysis for today so we're not doing a straight up film review or anything um but we're just gonna have a good old-fashioned coffee talk Mm -hmm. about you know whatever we've been watching or whatever's on our mind uh, that's i guess movie related it doesn't even necessarily have to be that but uh uh kyle um what have you been watching lately i mean to to take a a page right out of my books uh, uh, my brother's playbook for his show uh, uh, the Couch Co-op podcast about video games. That's, what what you been watching, Kyle? That's a great question, Trevor. Like, thank you for asking that question. Stretch. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, if you wanted to know what it was like to work with Trevor and I, this is basically what this is what it was like working with us because we sat next to each other and like this is kind of how it would go. Um, I, I I'm gonna go with like what I've watched um, like the recent past i guess within the last few weeks um a few movies that i've sat down to watch uh i watched the last duel uh, i watched the midsummer uh, director's cut um which was really good hunt for red october uh possession 1981 uh and i rewatched uh, the resident evil movie oh yeah so that would be a resident evil welcome Ra- to welcome to raccoon city yeah. which would be the most recent iteration that uh both kyle and i actually saw in the theater and mm-hmm. uh you want to start there for just a minute yeah Kyle? that's a good place to start like I, I do think that's a funny little story about how we ended up seeing that movie yeah so kyle texted me out of the blue uh this was one of those times where uh, in case you couldn't tell from the questionable audio quality uh kyle is in the room with me right now mm-hmm. gun uh, on his forehead <laughs> <laughs> for a very long time uh we were recording remotely uh because kyle was not in the city anymore but um mm-hmm. I, he just kind of popped into town unexpectedly, at least for me anyway. And uh, he texted me out of the blue and he was like, hey, you want to go see Resident Evil? And I was like, you want to go see the Resident Evil movie? <laughs> yeah. Like the Resident Evil movie that from the trailers doesn't even look very good. You are the one inviting me? Because <laughs> folks at home, you're not aware of this. But um, when it comes to our, our connection, our relationship to the Resident Evil franchise, um, I don't think either of us have any particular enthusiasm about the the live action film series um i have seen that entire film series surprisingly as, as have i yeah um i remember uh i remember watching the first one when it came out like around the time like when it was a rentable from uh from premier video or a uh, family video <laughs> wherever we were getting it from um but yeah um i th- as the latter as the films go on it, they kind of get kind of fun and that the fu- i actually rewatched the uh the last one, the final chapter, I guess, is what it's supposed so, to yeah. be. Um, relatively uh, right before that movie came out, like I started seeing trailers for that. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize they were redoing this. Um, last part of that film, the last third of that film, not great, but uh, still kind of fun. 
but yeah i'm like this actually looks kind of cool uh surprisingly like i the trailers actually kind of sold me on i'm like this could be fun yeah uh like i said kyle was he was the driving force behind us going to see that movie in the theater but uh, the point the major point that i was trying to get to here was that um kyle has seen all of those films as have i i i own them because i i'm really really attached to the franchise as a whole but that that enthusiasm doesn't necessarily extend to the movies i, I mostly just own those because i'm a collector mm-hmm. it's a collector <laughs> um but the video games the video games uh i i am very strongly attached to that franchise uh, i've played most of the major titles i know them frontwards and backwards for the most part um which is why i thought it was funny that kyle was the one inviting me to go see the <laughs> one that is being advertised as much more strongly rooted in in like the video game aspect like in terms of representing the games on film uh welcome to raccoon city was advertised as like this is the game as a movie um so i just thought it was funny that kyle was the one who was like saying hey i want to go see this i'm like but you don't even know what it's from <laughs> like you don't even know you don't even get the references <laughs> well, but i would um anyway uh, we went out to the theater and uh goddamn i brought the wrong jacket mm-hmm. uh, and what i mean by that is um i can't speak for everybody listening to this podcast but out here in seattle uh we we have a uh, covid vaccine um requirements basically at least at that time they at were that time pretty strict yeah um so you needed to have your card on you mm-hmm. and i i have been vaccinated i do have my card but physically it was in the other jacket yeah <laughs> so i showed up to the theater and i i you know i had my ticket and whatnot i was good to go and then i was like oh no no yeah uh so i i marched my ass out into the parking lot kyle i insisted kyle go on without me (laughs) um and i just sat there being a mopey piece of shit for a few minutes (laughs) uh and i started texting my my lovely the girlfriend as she's known on the podcast Mm -hmm. and she uh she is a problem solver she was like hey you know in seattle they have electronic covid cards uh, that have a qr code and everything mm-hmm. and she was like go to this website she's like sending me hyperlinks and stuff through my phone she's like go to this website register do all this get all this information and then you know in the next 10 minutes or so i had an electronic card uh, on my phone saved as like an image file mm-hmm. and i ran i texted kyle and and thankfully the previews i, I think, it <laughs> yeah I, I think the previews were running at the time and i texted kyle I was like you, are you in there and like Thankfully, you hadn't like muted your phone or anything because yeah. you wouldn't have gotten that text. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it worked out. I ran in there. I bought a new ticket, and I, I ran in. I sat next to Kyle, and we ended up watching the movie. And yeah. it, she, the girlfriend saved the night. She yeah. salvaged the night. Uh, yeah, you're, you, you, you weren't missing anything with the previews. It all looked like shit. Uh, <laughs> the, the future, the next couple, at least the next year of horror does not look promising. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it does not look good. <laughs> yeah, and this is coming from uh, Kyle, who has like a running list of, of th- like, things to do, things to watch. I've got my finger on the pulse when it comes to horror. Absolutely. Yeah, these look like shit. Maybe the Ethan Hawke one might be kind of funnish, one where he abducts the kid. Uh, that might be interesting, but I'm not. I'm not completely sold. I need somebody else to see it and say, "Hey, you should check this out." Is that the one where he's wearing the goofy mask? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the only reason why I would consider it is because it is Ethan Hawke. I'm like, he, he is good. Yeah, no, his, Ethan Hawke, regardless of what he's in, he always shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's one of those guys that's he's not like a, a Bruce Willis or a Steven Seagal where it's like he'll physically you mean he's be in movies. <laughs> it's like he'll physic. No, I mean they're both still working yeah, a lot. One of them is. Um, I mean they they both. 
show up. Like they'll both be, they'll stand in front of the camera, I guess. Uh-huh. But Ethan Hawke isn't that person. Yeah. He'll be in your movie and he'll give you what he's got, yeah. regardless of the state of the script or the budget level and whatnot. Two out of three of those people you just mentioned can breathe out of their nose. One of them can't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. If, like, I don't know how much you want to talk about Welcome to Raccoon City, but like this most recent watching, because like, um, just to get straight to the point, um, when we walked out of the theater, uh, we do as you do uh, when film enthusiasts uh, step out of a theater. Uh, mm-hmm. We did a little, uh, I don't know, wrap up, just like kind of conversed about the experience and. Uh, the conclusion that we came to, I guess, was that Kyle really enjoyed the theater experience. He, he enjoyed the movie, yeah. uh, but I was I was hung up on the details, as I, I as I tend to be. <laughs> I think the best way to describe it was the Resident Evil was a pretty good bodega sandwich. Bodega is not known for sandwiches; it's known for being a little grocery store that sells sandwiches. Uh, and for me, it was a nice little bodega sandwich. It's exactly what I needed. It was. It had nourishment. It had surprises. Uh, <laughs> it was tasty. Um, and, you know, all, all in all, there are definitely better products. There's probably better things that I could buy. But ultimately, it was fine. You, on the other hand, were eating the sandwich. You're like, this cheese is a little off. I mean, it's fine, but, like, uh, I'm not completely sold on this. Are these capers? Are these capers? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so I'll, I'll just run through what, what I liked about the film sure. altogether. All was um, it's a zombie film. We uh, we do a good job of just making it a zombie film, even though it's based off of literally Resident Evil Two, one the, and two, one and two. Okay, um, it's it's a nice little zombie movie. Good use of music. I think that there was creative ways of uh, using music in the film, which after Guardians of the Galaxy is difficult to do without it not being Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I think that the practical effects were pretty effective. Uh, CGI was not great. Um, The performances were better than they could have been, honestly, (laughs) as far as a Resident Evil movie goes. Um, Good pace. I had a decent pace. Could have used a little bit more action. I think a bigger uh, zombie horde would have been a bit more fun. However, it did make sense for the film because it was a small town where a lot of people had left. Um, it's a good job in terms of scripting. They they yeah. do put a lot of dialogue in there pointing to there aren't many people around to become zombies. Mm-hmm. So it's explained away quite skillfully. Um, and I thought the humor was... Ju- I think that was the one thing that they did do right was the humor was just right. I was actually laughing. I rewatched it last night uh, uh, just with dinner. I'm like, I'll oh, just give it a rewatch. Kind of fresh in my mind because I thought we might talk about it today. The humor's part... Like, it's just right. And it's still pretty funny. Uh it wraps up oddly, but it also wraps up setting up another movie. Um, but we do get enough of a movie that I enjoyed it, and I'm like, I'll look forward to a second one. Um, the problems I think that you and I have with it are going to be different, though. Yeah. 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 Actually, that's that's why I I do look forward to a more fleshed out discussion about this one uh, because. As Kyle often says on the podcast, that we we notice or appreciate different things in film, and this is this is like a hundred percent true. Like like just like if you eavesdrop on conversations between the two of us, like talking about films, we can both really love a film and love very 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 different things about it. We both loved. We were talking about Dune, the new Dune movie, before we came on, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, the the, the fight cho- the knife fight choreography." I'm like, "There's a knife fight in that movie?" He's like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> And as he started talking, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But, like, it's not what I was focused on. He's like, what the f- how did you not remember there was a knife fight in that? Exactly. That's, that's a really strong, concrete example of what I'm getting at here. So, yeah, um, 
I, I certainly keyed in on a lot of different details than, than Kyle did. And for the most part, like the, the way I find it's easiest to phrase this is um, everything is referenced and everything is wrong, <laughs> which is which is a problem. Um, I feel like this is probably a common uh, phenomenon with this movie is that uh, your your closeness to the, the, the core material, like the, the video games, your, your familiarity actually hinders your ability to appreciate mm-hmm. the film as its own thing. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a hindrance, um, and as I said, Kyle really doesn't have much connection to the games. He can, like his I've most played of them, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's played them, but he doesn't like love them. He he hasn't lived them. I get it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I get it. Yeah, uh, but the difference is, I I know these games like the back of my hand. In particular, Resident Evil One through Three, uh, the the PS One games. I I know those games like literally like the back of my hand. I I. I strongly believe i could probably get a third of the way through the second and third one blindfolded gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> like really i do know those games incredibly well but that actually gets in the way of my enjoyment of of the film itself because i'm spending too much energy i'm expending too much energy just like looking for the references and noting how they're incorrect and things like that as opposed to just watching the damn film gotcha um but yeah like i a lot of my objections to it are um, some of the characterization I disagreed pretty strongly with. It's just there's a couple of characters in there, and I'm like I'm not gonna spoil the whole movie here, but there's a couple of characters that I didn't appreciate how they were handled. Um, the CGI when it's when it's like front and center when it's front and center when it's big as life and twice as ugly center frame, it's not good. It's not good. It, it's real bad. In fact, like there's a couple of effects that are, are rendered pretty well. Like like the liquor is handled quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the the yeah. blind. I, I do know that one. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the creature that appears at the very end, whew, that yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Like even from a design standpoint, not even in terms of like render quality and like lighting, and to, like just from a design standpoint, I was like, no, <laughs> just just no, that is wrong. Like yeah. don't put that in the movie. But they they did. They did it. Um, but I mean, it does have some strong suits to it though. Um, it, it, it is a very fun movie for the most part. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny. Like, this is a, a rant for a totally different day, but I have noticed a, a little bit of a problem with movies these days, actually. Oh, yeah? <laughs> is, that, is that, like, everything shot well. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I feel like it was more common to be able to put on a movie and from, like, minute one just know, like, oh, this is not going to be good just mm-hmm. because of the, well, the way it's shot and lit. But these days, I feel like even really bad movies look amazing like yeah. almost everything looks amazing by by like antiquated standards mm-hmm. and it's really difficult for my for my brain to negotiate because i'm like like I, I keep looking at like i haven't watched it myself but that uh texas chainsaw massacre movie i might be watching it tonight honestly i was about to say that seems like something that out of curiosity even if even if you don't like it i feel like as a horror head you owe it to yourself to just see what the kids are up to, I guess. Yeah. I haven't heard good things at all. But, you know, just every once in a while it's a good idea to dip in there to see see what other people are, are up in arms in about or enthused about. But the point I'm getting to with that movie is that just looking at footage from it, I've heard nothing but bad fucking things about that movie. But it looks But it looks it really look good. good. Like yeah. it looks it looks slick. That's how they get you. And it's a weird problem where I'm like, everything looks great. Yeah, but like that's a huge part of how we used to be able to determine what was shit and what wasn't. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. It all looks great. Technology's here. Um, 
I did want to say that yes, while Resident Evil does look good, um, I think that the opening the opening scene where she's in the in the uh, semi, well, the opening scene in the orphanage is really good. I thought it was genuinely uh, creepy. It's a good primer for the next scene where he ends up hitting the person crossing the road. That whole sequence when they're out of the car is fucking terrifying because the zombie gets up, and you think, oh no, it's going to attack him. Then it goes in the woods and like where to go. And then we get a shot of that zombie just kind of standing in the woods behind a tree. I'm like, it's it's pretty creepy. It's it's pretty effective. Now see, um, all the shit talking I've been doing, folks at home, remember, I am a I'm a collector. <laughs> yes. Um, he owns it. <laughs> it. It's right over there. <laughs> it's right over there. <laughs> I bought it yesterday. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I do intend to rewatch this at least once. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched it since the theater, Kyle. Yeah. Like like we said, Kyle watched it just the other night. But um, the one the one scare I remember really working for me that I thought was choreographed really well was um, in the neighbor's house um, when the yes, mom charges yes. through the door. I was like, that was from a choreography and like a like both camera movement and like blocking standpoint. I was like. That was well done because that wasn't a cheap jump scare. Like you see her coming, mm-hmm. and it still kind of like makes you like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> they they do use, and I think the although I do think that the opening with the um, them hitting the per, the pedestrian uh, the semi, I think that the the best as far as like building like tension is the scene where her brother is in the the dining room with all the zombies, and all he has for a light is his gun and the Zippo. Yeah. Genuinely, that was terrifying in the uh, the theater. See, that's really creative. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when it comes to staging action scenes and whatnot, that is something that I always appreciate, is that we've all seen... We've all seen almost every permutation of of action that exists. You have. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I have. You have. Um, and so, like, coming up with unique ways of staging familiar action beats is, that's a sign of dedication and enthusiasm that does give me, go, it gives brownie points to the production. Because um, there's a Donnie Yen movie that I think we reviewed a long time ago, Flashpoint. Yeah. Um, that has a, a gunfight in tall grass that you can tell that part of the reason they choreographed that sequence the way they did is... That was at the end of the film, right? Yeah. Okay, at the I very that. end of the film. I do remember that. Uh, part of the reason they choreographed that scene the way they did is because how many fucking John Woo movies had we been bombarded with over the past couple of decades up to that point? It's like, we have seen guns akimbo, gunfights. We've seen crazy pyrotechnics and stuff. What can we do that's different? Because we don't have the time or the budget to do something bigger and louder and dumber. So instead, let's aim for something different. Mm-hmm. And welcome to Raccoon City. Its budget does rear its ugly head from time to time. You can tell it's a, it's a modest production. It's not a super low budget production. It's a modest production. It's a modest production. It made but, money. Yeah. But they they made use of of their budget quite well by trying trying to innovate, trying to do things differently and in unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. And it was you know it, it it's not a movie that was made without love or effort. Mm. Um, so whatever objections I have to it, mostly come down to. I don't know, its connection to the video games. Um, but in the moment, it's mostly a fun experience. It is. Um, I, and Donald Logue... Is great. He's fucking he's, amazing. I was laughing my ass off the kid last night with him. He, he's pretty fucking great. Oh, my... In a, in a script riddled pr- with profanity, oh, my God. He is just... He is just eating it up. He is chewing all of the scenery, and he's doing it in the most magnificent way. Only problem with that is that his character from the games is not that. Uh, but... I like I like Donald Logue and I like what he did with the material. So like as an isolated performance, I quite appreciate it. 
it's only hindered by my connection to the games. So yeah, overall, it was a fun movie-going experience. So yeah, yeah, in the theater especially, it was a lot of fun. And actually, it was probably my favorite uh, film, uh, that <laughs> a favorite horror film that was supposed to come out and got delayed because Antlers was a big disappointment. Yeah, what a transition! <laughs> I, I felt right. <laughs> so yeah, Antlers is a film that uh, Kyle actually encouraged me uh, to watch. Uh, he has been encouraging me to watch. Um, and it just so happened uh, serendipitously to pop up on HBO Max mm-hmm. uh, within the past month or so. Uh, so I just used my subscription. Didn't even have to pay out the nose to rent it because actually it was going for like high prices for rental, I think. Yeah, I mean, I rented Resident Evil. It was still kind of high last night. Yeah, that, that seems to be happening lately. But um, Rantlers, uh, mm-hmm. this was a movie. Kyle, do you want to explain your connection to Rantlers? Because this, yeah. this is one that I think has been mentioned on the podcast for a while now. But like maybe, maybe the enigmatic. Yeah, <laughs> the, the enigmatic Rantlers. Yeah. So Antlers is a film that was, uh, I believe, produced by Guillermo del Toro. And uh, it's a film that had me from the description and then also had me by the balls when I got to see the trailer. I'm like, I had... This was one of the very few times where I saw a trailer for something and I was wrong. I, I don't think I was dead wrong, but I was I was let down uh, because I had a nose for it, nose for horror movie uh, uh, trailers. I'm like, this is going to be a good movie. I'm like, they think this is going to be one that's notable. Um, and it got delayed because of COVID. It was supposed to come out in 2020 and they pushed it till obviously till 2021. Um, and I went to the theater when I think the weekend it came out. I went to the theater to go watch it, um, and I, I think I was I had hyped it up in my head too much. Like I just was like, this is gonna be great. It's gonna be an awesome experience. Ultimately, it's not a bad movie at all. Um, it just it didn't live up to my expectations. Ultimately, yeah. So such is the the saga of Rantlers. Mm. Um, Kyle Kyle was really intent on seeing that one for a very long time. Yeah. And it just kept getting delayed, and finally he got to see it, and yeah, you heard it, folks. Uh, just not not what we were all hoping it would be. And uh, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast, uh, he agrees with you wholeheartedly. Okay. Um, as long as, as if I got him on my side, then I know that I'm right. <laughs> yeah, Brad's also kind of a horror head as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he didn't think it was an especially good movie. Like, it's it's a fine movie, it's just not, it's not what it could have been, I guess. There are there are genuine sequences of dread and tension building throughout the film, but they seem to fizzle really quickly uh, with how they're executed. Uh, I don't want to give away too much of the film because I mean it it is a decent film. It's not bad by any means, and if you're a person who it likes horror, actually, if you're a person that doesn't really like horror because it's not too strong on the horror aspect, like it's it's more of a it's more of a creature horror film, which I find to be not too terribly scary for for me personally yeah i i think a, a huge part of the problem with the movie is uh, themes themes theme that 100 percent. so so 100 percent. 100 i sent you that uh i sent you that gq video of uh francis uh francis ford coppola just yeah. like talking about his films and one of the things he says at the end of the video is is like he's talking about megalopolis his film that he's financing himself and i'm I can't wait till it starts production. I'm going to be keeping... That's one I'm going to keep tabs on, and I'm going to be following that's throughout. That's the new Rantlers. That's the new Rantlers, but that's a totally <laughs> different thing. But what he's... I, I think what he said was, like, I try to pick... I try to describe my films in, like, one word, and he's, like, uh, Secession was the godfather, and... Uh, 
I can't remember what it was for um, Apocalypse Now, but it doesn't really matter. But if you were to if you were to pinpoint one thing that was wrong with Antlers, it's themes. Oh yeah, yeah good luck defining that in one word. It's yeah. impossible because the the movie requires four or five different themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it 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 reaches too far. Mm-hmm. It tries to be too many things, and I think that's one of its biggest liabilities. Yeah, is that from a thematic standpoint, it is all over the place. And it's not very cohesive because of it. There's a couple of those themes, of which there are many, mm-hmm. that actually land pretty well. But then there's a few that get brushed, brushed aside, and it's just like, but that, that was that was a thought. That was a thing that the movie was trying to tell me was important. But then the movie itself forgot about, mm-hmm. and therefore it's like, oh well, we just wasted my motherfucking time. Thanks yeah. for that. Um, and then the, the creature stuff on top of that uh, just further complicates things where mm-hmm. it's just like you're diluting your themes you're making them less impactful and maybe it would have been better to do another draft on the script and condense it like focus it find your focus and make it make what's there heavier and more impactful uh, it suffers from uh, something that you have to do with uh, really you have to do this with uh, things that came out in the 90s is that when we introduce Native American folklore into something, it's not going to be handled well. Uh, so, <laughs> just to say, if you're watching the X-Files and you see a Native American gentleman, you go ahead and skip an episode or two because you don't need to watch that. It's not going to be handled well. Well, I actually, I was thinking about that just last night. Was I was I There's a sequence in the movie where Graham Greene, mm-hmm. a beloved Native American actor... You know who he is, yes. Well, it was really funny, actually. I was listening to Brad, again, on the Cinema Speak podcast. I've met you, the listeners, know who he is. You um, know Graham t- Greene. <laughs> talk, talk about, like, who who Graham Greene was. Like, it's like, oh, we have this Native American... This wise Native American character who explains the concept of the creature to yeah. us at the halfway point of the movie. Yeah. And it was really funny because I, I didn't know Graham Greene was in there. Oh, I didn't either. They and, buried that. And I assumed it was... Because Brad was searching for the name, I think, on the fly. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you mean Graham Greene? It's yeah. like, it's either Wes Studi, Graham Greene, or Adam Beach. Yeah. It's one of those three. And it's like, if you want the, the wise, kind, friendly guy, you get Graham Greene. If you want the intense one, you get Wes Studi. If you want the goofy one, you go with Adam Beach. It's like, unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of all-star like Native American actors in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it so happens... I assumed it was Graham Greene, and sure enough, Graham Greene. Yeah. <laughs> but um, coming back to that, though, that sequence, he explicitly lays out like the nature of the of the creature in question, mm-hmm. um, the titular Rantlers, um, and like from a thematic standpoint, I was like, does that tie into anything? Mm. Like, what does that what does that all mean? And then what's more, um, he he explains like the nature of the thing and and its behavior and whatnot. Which for me, as a fan of creature features, that's one of my favorite parts of, of monster movies is, yeah. is the, the, the aspect of the film where we need to learn what it is and how it functions. Mm-hmm. That's why movies like John Carpenter's The Thing are so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's because they do it very organically. I mean, sure, you have exposition dumps from Wilford Brimley from time to time, but then you get like physical demonstrations in the form of like the blood test and stuff Mm -hmm. that really lay it out like this is how these are the rules rules in monster movies are incredibly important and this monster doesn't really seem to have many rules it's very (laughs) willy-nilly and like because there's like a line talking about how it's like it has an insatiable appetite and whatnot and and it i think it grows weaker as it as it feeds or something 
even though it grows like larger and more un- uncontrollable or something and then we never see it feed from that point on it's like you you would think if that's if that's the driving force behind its behavior you would you would do that <laughs> it's like yeah. no like in terms of like the the choreography like of its interactions with the other human characters in the movie from that point on it's like it doesn't make a whole it doesn't make a lick of sense just yeah. based on what was told to us and that's it's a movie so that's all we have to go by <laughs> Um, well, there's a lot of themes. I'll give a plot summary real quick. Sure. Uh, so there's a teacher uh, who has a uh, child in her class who gets picked on. He has broken home, um, and his father and brother are missing. And turns out that his father and brother are sick at his home, and he's basically not telling anybody about it. Um, and the main theme, there is one main theme in Antlers, and that's domestic violence. Uh, at least that's the one that I pulled from it's it. Abuse. Abuse, yeah. Um and while it, I mean, I'm like, I could pick up on the theme pretty quick because both the the child and Carrie, Carrie Russell, Carrie Russell, Felicity, yes, Felicity, <laughs> uh, they both have like, tr- like he's a troubled home, she had a troubled past with her father. Hers sounded r- like really, really, really bad with her father, like almost to the point of like, I don't think they're they're going through the same stuff here. There's a like not to interrupt you too partially here but um jesse plemons who's quickly becoming like one of the most really awesome like working actors I really right like now. Him, he's yeah. awesome yeah like um his uh that line in the hospital with her is amazing and his his delivery of it is beautiful like basically she's pissed at him because like she's expressing the trauma she went through with their own with their upbringing their brother and sister in the film, yeah by the way okay um and she's like like actually like banging on him like like physically like throwing him around a little bit and he's the sheriff in the town he's an authority figure and he just like calmly but like he has a little lip quiver when he says he's like you don't know what he did to me yeah it's like oh oh yeah yeah so you just expl- you just like very slyly just gave a whole new dimension to his entire character just with one line and it's mm-hmm. like wow that was really cool <laughs> anyway uh, oh yeah no but uh yeah it, it turns into a creature feature uh but yes the main theme is abuse um, yeah but then there's a whole bunch of other like there's other stuff tangential themes about like the opioid crisis <laughs> yeah this is where we're gonna take a stand yeah, yeah like there's all these news reports and like the the prologue in the movie deals with that it's just like oh my god like what does this have to do with anything like i know it's topical it's like i know this director scott cooper does a lot of like westerns and and like heady like dramas and whatnot so maybe he's trying to turn it into a message movie but it's like it's called rantlers yeah pick (laughs) pick a theme and just go with that but i get i can see how the two kind of coincide where it's like opioid like addiction in general abuse well and even the symptoms of of the kid's family like may as well be someone going through like you know, either shooting up or like withdrawals or something. Yeah, like when some his father's some, acting for yeah, sure. The yeah, the way he's acting, like aside from all the the makeup effects and stuff, it's like it, we're drawing parallels to to that and whatnot. But point is, it, it's not very cohesive. It's a little bit all over the place. It doesn't especially deliver on the the creature front. Yeah, um, we do get some really awesome corpses, by the way. We do. We do um, get some really awesome, really corpses. amazing makeup effects for the dead bodies. Yeah, but we don't really get to see a whole lot of the actual dismemberment like, yeah. which leave it up to the imagination i guess <laughs> i mean if you can't give me that at least make the behavior of the creature 
satisfying or or consistent mm-hmm. and that was a big problem i had it's like we don't see this fucking thing until the last five minutes of the movie yeah and it does look pretty cool you can tell that it was executed via a number of different effects mediums like you can tell there was a physical prop in the room um but is cgi assisted um but like it, its behavior with the human characters is, is questionable. So mm-hmm. like, the things it does, like the the blocking of the scene in the shed, Kyle. Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah. Like from a from a blocking standpoint, I actually was laughing on the couch. <laughs> like I'm watching this movie on the couch, like in the dark by myself. I was laughing at it because it was bringing back memories of me shooting movies in high school at my friend's apartment, where every time we had to kill somebody it was high school and we had airsoft guns like every every short film we ever made was about gun deals gone bad (laughs) and uh every time we had to kill somebody we made sure that they're in the bathroom because cleaning up the fake blood was a lot easier on like 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 in the bathroom as opposed to on the carpet or something it reminded me of that where it's like how many people are gonna go into this shit (laughs) it's like it's like 10 minutes of the movie dedicated to people stupidly wandering into a shed and a monster just kind of like hanging out in the bushes next to the shed and going back. There's <laughs> <laughs> like a whole stack of bodies in that shed. Yeah, it's pretty goofy. It's fucking lame, is what it is. Yeah, but it it does reach for the stars. And actually, this was part of what planted the seed in my my head for that that concept of movies looking too good these days. Is it's shot incredibly well. Yeah, it, it's a gorgeous movie doesn't make it a very good movie but it's nice to look at which like i said that's really it's it's messing with the wiring of my brain it's like normally when things look good it gets x number of like star bumps or whatever in terms of how i evaluate it but now i'm I'm feeling like i have to just like you have to actually pay attention to the film i have to like discount aesthetics to some degree because like this this movie is a very good example of that where it looks amazing but not amazing (laughs) i'm with you um but segue uh so actually i did want to mention that um i i spoke with brad on the cinema speak podcast pretty recently um we reviewed an adrian brody movie called clean Mm. uh soundtrack by brody beats by the way oh jesus adrian brody's uh hip-hop persona oh god yes Uh, brody beats folks look it up um Anyway, uh, on that episode, uh, we did a series of micro reviews, very similar to what we're doing right now, in fact. Um, so sorry, Brad, we stole your format. Um, <laughs> um, and a movie that I talked about that I watched recently was uh, Old Henry, which is a Tim Blake Nelson headlined uh, Western. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's a cute little movie. Also shot incredibly well on an incredibly modest budget, and you get to see Tim Blake Nelson shoot a bunch of people. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Um, and a... Uh, Stephen Dorff is the villain in it, by the way. Oh, of course he is. And he's chewing all the scenery, and he is a lovely Canadian cowboy. (laughs) All five foot six of them. He's on a horse most of the time. You can't tell. And he's wearing a a cowboy hat. He partners with Mahershala Ali in uh, True Detective Season 3, and like, okay. Oh, wow. They're in the car, mostly. I haven't... Because one of those guys was cast for Blade. Oh, my gosh. Forgot Mahershala. Yeah, he's the new Blade. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, I hope Stephen Dwarf gets a little part. Just oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome to have him in there. Yeah. You get, you get a, a cameo from Stephen Dwarf as like a barista or something. <laughs> say, one of those dudes was cast in Blade. I'm like, actually, both of those dudes were cast both in Blade. Both of those Blade guys movie. were in Blade. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, connection here was uh, Scott Hayes is an actor that's not known to me. 
and based on Kyle's face, he doesn't know him either. But um, he was in Old Henry in a fairly prominent role, uh, and he plays the father in Rantlers. Oh, okay. And, and I had seen both of these movies in quick succession, so it was, I was like, oh, wait, I did the Leonardo DiCaprio thing. I was like, I, I get that reference. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know that guy. That guy, um, that guy was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to do that again here. And we're going to bounce us into a series a series of movies I just watched because Carrie Russell is our star in Ramblers. And guess what? I totally forgot this, but uh, she's one of the headlining stars of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Ah. I completely forgot she was in that movie. I completely forgot she was in that movie, Shows too. how much I care about Carrie Russell. <laughs> well, she, I mean... She has a lovely speaking voice. I will give her that. Like, But um, in terms of, like, draw, like... I will not go see a movie because Felicity's in it. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, I've seen all three of those movies. Um, I remember James Franco in the first one. And that was about it. When uh, Caesar was a little pup, yeah. basically, with John Lithgow. I don't remember the second one. Is that with... Uh, that's, that's Dawn. Dawn, okay. And then the third one I do remember because Woody Harrelson. Yeah, Woody. Woody. Woody's he's, he's always the MVP every time he shows up. Although... Um, Andy Serkis is he is the blood and soul of those movies. Good fucking god. Um, yeah. So folks at home, uh, I took it upon myself to rewatch um, the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. It's a mega franchise that it's a mega it. multimedia franchise that dates back to the seventies. There have been video games. Sixties, I think. Wasn't the first one come, didn't that come out in the sixties? It wouldn't surprise me. I would assume late sixties, but. Um, Anyway, that the first one, you know, this Charlton Heston film is mm-hmm. a monumental success. You don't say. Spawned many, many, many sequels. Uh, I think Charlton Heston only appeared in 1968. 1968. Damn. I was just say because Don Draper takes his kid uh, Bobby to see Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. And that takes place takes place in the 60s. And then he watch it and like, do you want to watch it again? And they just sit there and watch it again, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that. I think he shows up in the sequel um, just so he can press the button that like blows up the planet or whatever. Like, they really wanted him to come back, and he was like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing it unless I get to press the button. Um, and then, of course, he shows up in makeup in the Tim Burton uh, remake of the first film. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy, my God, Kyle, I, I want to say it's one of the most un- underappreciated and just high-quality recent trilogies of films we've gotten. Uh, they're really fucking good yeah i uh from the trailers like at least for the first one i'm like i'm not watching this shit like i do not want to watch it i got it. the same vibe yeah and, and then you have you actually sit down and watch it and you're like the first one I'm like oh this is pretty good and then you get through the second one and you're like fuck i did not think that this was actually going to be good and then you get done with the third one like what are you talking about this was excellent well you get to the end of the third one and it's just like that's like one of the best movies I've seen in recent years. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot of CGI. Yeah, and uh, folks at home, uh, if you're not aware, Kyle is not... No. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a good opportunity. Now we're now we're doing a casual coffee talk episode. Yeah. Ex- explain what it is about CGI. Because this is a thing that comes up, comes up time and time again. And I'm curious... What's what's the deal with the CGI? <laughs> with the with the computer animation? <laughs> well, I, I was a '90s child. I my had my formative years in the '90s, and uh, a lot of the films I watched were from the '80s and '90s. So CGI was basically like we're using computers to do backgrounds. Like it wasn't being used. It was like we like Star Wars. Like we're using not necessarily computers, but uh, but 
it was used for big scale, grand scale kind of stuff. And when it came to like person talking to person or person talking to thing, generally it was a puppet or some kind of makeup rendering, some kind of practical effect. And that's just what I grew up with. Um, and even when we started using CGI moving forward, it looked like shit. So people would use it sparingly and try to like keep it keep it back. But then it got better and better and better. And now it's just a crutch. And and not so much when we're rendering like space or like some kind of grant, like some huge city or something like that that just cannot be built by humans at this point. It makes sense to use it. I'm fine with that. It's when it's intimate. It's when it's two things talking to each other that I get kind of like, it just takes me out of the movie because all I can think of is this is just CGI. And the problem I had with um, the, the Irishman, was it the, yeah, the... Oh, yeah, it? yeah. I couldn't get past the uh, the part where Joe Pesci's talking to Robert De Niro at the gas it's, uh, station. Two cartoons talking. To yeah, each other. I'm like, I can't even watch this movie, <laughs> and I have yet to go back and try to watch it because it, I cannot, in, I can't engage in the film because I just get hung up on that, um, and I can't, and this is the problem I have with like cartoons, at least with uh, anime, is that I can't emotionally attack, I can't like emotionally engage with what characters are doing because they're not emoting. Like it, it's it, it's just something that takes me out of the film and I can't enjoy it. So, Planet of the Apes. When I saw the trailers for that, I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me, because that's what Caesar is, uh, with the exception of you know Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's 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 a different thing, because uh, Gollum's a whole other thing, and it still looks good, even today. But at the time that it was being made, it looked great, like what they were doing with him. Huh. So um, I'm curious. Uh, so like, what's a uh... One one thing that you're talking about here is, um, I mean, Andy Serkis mm-hmm. is is giving a performance mm-hmm. in both examples you've provided. Yeah. So War of the I Rings. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. War of the Rings. Uh, Andy Serkis plays at least two characters in in those films. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays him. He, Smeagol and Gollum. Yeah. One um, of them's a CGI render. Yeah. yeah. What, Gollum is. Yeah. Andy Serkis donning a CGI skin. Yeah. Um, and doing performance capture. Um, same deal with Planet of the Apes, uh, where we have a bunch of ape characters embodied by actual actors giving live performances, which are then fed into a computer and translated in the form of CGI animated characters. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your feelings on performance capture technology? Because it seems like that's the difference maker. I think that, yeah, and that's why I think the Godzilla vs. King Kong uh, was actually a bit more fun. Because did they do more of that with... Uh, I mean... Every, every example of CGI animation, like performance capture that you see, it, there is a human hand manipulating it to some extent because it's a fucking movie and mm-hmm. we, have, we have the luxury of post-production. So it's like you can take elements of a performance and instead of literally 100% translating it on screen, you can alter it slightly for impact mm-hmm. and uh, tidiness, I guess. Um, and the same goes for Godzilla versus Kong. Is there is performance capture involved? Some ama- some hilarious performance mm-hmm. capture. If you've seen what the actual performances look like without the CGI animation, uh, King Ghidorah is it is three people tied together at the waist, mm. behaving as all three heads simultaneously. Oh man! So it's three people behaving like serpents, tied together at the waist, wearing gray pajamas. It's amazing, um, <laughs> and a uh, Benedict uh, Humperdinck Bandersnatch. Oh, dude, that as, is one of the funniest things you ever watched. Smaug. Yeah, 
I I don't particularly care for that film, but I love the clip of him doing the acting for that. I mean, yeah. hats off to him. Yeah, for... Humperdinck Bandersnatch became a lizard person. He yeah. became a dragon man. He goes for like it's so funny to watch that video of him like acting like a dragon. <laughs> it's no, like but, a kid on the playground. <laughs> yeah, but for me, um, performance capture technology is one of my favorite things. Like I I love it. Um, I'm endlessly fascinated in it. Um, yeah. And uh, Andy Serkis is, of course, the, the foremost example of it. Like yeah. He's kind of like, I don't know if you'd call him a pioneer of it, but he's... I'd he, say so, yeah. He's the Frank Welker of performance guy. <laughs> like, he, he's the go-to guy, such that um, it wasn't a big surprise when uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage came out. That like, Oh, I haven't watched that yet. He directed it. Oh, okay. He's directed at least one other movie I know of. It's a the other Jungle Book because Disney had um, their Jungle Book and then he had his Jungle Book and that one didn't get advertised very much because you're going up against Disney. Yeah. Um, but the point is, all the technology utilized in the film was performance capture stuff, and he's the go-to guy. He knows how to use it best. So like a CGI heavy movie like Venom Two, it's no surprise they would get him. And then on top of that. He and Woody Harrelson worked together on War for the Planet of the Apes, so it's like, hey, Woody, you want to be in my movie and like hang out in gray pajamas on a blue screen set? <laughs> but, but performance capture for me, like, I, I have a, I guess, a slightly different appreciation for CGI, um, because sometimes from an aesthetic standpoint, I appreciate it. Um, certain in certain cases, like Kyle said about like expansive environments and whatnot, there is a a logical application for it. Yeah. There is a practical application of it. Um, and then, like, there's really subtle uses of it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really interesting seeing, like, the way modern car chases are shot these days because uh, so much of them end up just being whatever, like, Matt Damon in a, in a Bourne movie doing the steering wheel, like, choreography, and then all the windows are blocked out, and he's just on a green screen set yeah. in a prop car. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish with this? Like, are you cutting corners, or is this necessary? So, if I'm reading you right, it sounds like you don't like it when it feels like there was a better option and they just did it because of ease we ease want, of use or time. Or yeah, something. time, money, like did we want to spend our money someplace else? Um, I'm trying, I can't really think off the top of my head of any other examples where I'm just like, fuck off. Like, that was, <laughs> why would you do that? But um, well, I'm sure if I had sat down, I could probably find some. Okay, last thing I'll say on the topic, um, last question, I guess. Uh, Josh Brolin as Thanos in the Marvel films. What What are your feelings on that? Because a, a podcast that both Kyle and I listened to have had strong feelings like this. It should have been a puppet. Um, I think that they they managed to actually give him enough characterization, but the issue comes in when he starts moving quickly or screaming, like when he <laughs> when when he is just like just kind of just standing there talking about how badass he is and. Uh, it's fine. It actually works, and you actually genuinely dislike the dude. It's when they start trying to take him down, and he's yelling and stuff. And like that looks like absolute shit. Yeah. Um, I see. I like. I like that first Guardians movie because uh, is it Ronan? I believe. Yeah. Uh, Lee Pace's character. Yeah. Yeah. They have they have him in makeup, and he. I mean, he's genuinely an asshole, and it, I think he looks good. They definitely modulated his voice, um, <laughs> but I don't know if you could do a Thanos like that. I, without it looking like Goro. <laughs> so I see the necessity if you're trying to make him, like, to scale, try to make him look really big. I'd be interested to see what if they tried to attempt it, like, what it would look like. Um, but, yeah, it, 70% of the time I think Thanos looks fine. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess I largely agree. I think a lot of it just comes down to logistics, mm-hmm. where it's like the things that the character is going to be required to do, an animatronic puppet simply just cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, the the style of movement he's required to do from time to time it, it's it's too quick it's too intense it's not something that animatronics are, are capable of really doing safely and accurately and then what's more you also have the consistency issue where um, if you had a physical prop for the face and whatnot or if you had Josh Brolin speaking in makeup um, then for the wide shots you use CGI your eye is going to be able to notice a distinguishing like a you're going to be able to distinguish between what technology is used when mm-hmm. and that just adds complications it's like either do one or either use the one technology for all of it or or just don't bother trying to integrate the other elements well see i think that's kind of the charm of the lord of the rings films is like you know when we've got different perspectives of uh gandalf and uh frodo sitting next to each other even though there is a height difference between those two but they to they scale it to make him seem even shorter but you can also tell when we have uh their doubles uh in the scene which it it if you if you don't like those films, you think that's kind of silly. I get it, but I love those films, and I kind of it's kind of charming to me that I can kind of tell the difference and I can see. I'm like, that's not that's not John Reese Davies right now. <laughs> that's somebody else standing there as Gimli. But with CGI for me, it's just like soundtracks. It's like I don't need to notice it. Mm. I need it to add to what I'm watching. Like it needs to go as one unit to to get get the scene across. Basically, uh, I don't want to notice that it's CGI. Okay. Yeah. Well. This but it's whole, hard to do with uh, the, the the Planet of the Apes films, though. Yeah, th- this whole discussion that I baited Kyle into here, uh, the whole thing I was getting at is that um, I wanted you, the listener, to understand Kyle's relationship to CGI because um, this is not a person who is easily impressed by the technology. It's not, <laughs> Even though it's very... Like, the people that do it are very talented. It's very hard to render, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, he's not a huge fan of it, and yet these are three movies that he appreciates, yeah. and they're packed to the brim with with CGI animation and performance capture technology. But because I think that there was only one way to do this, they spent the time on it, and it looks fantastic. It looks fucking it's incredible. F- at times, you forget. like it, I, it. It's so good that I have to remind myself sometimes, like, oh, this is a CGI rendering. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no makeup effects. <clears throat> I don't even know if they had like hairy ape hands for situations where they needed to like touch touch a CGI character on screen. Like I've seen them in the gray pajamas with the the wonky headsets with the cameras pointing to their faces. It's just Andy Serkis and uh, Toby Kebbell and the only performances in in his entire career that I can appreciate. Rock and roller. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he plays Koba, uh, the yeah. the angry oh, evil man. ape that was a heartbreaking that, that was that was heartbreaking is that the second movie with Koba? Uh, he's in the first two well actually he's in all three uh he he's, he's a dis- spe- he's a specter in the third one but in the second one he takes center stage that's where he convinces caesar's son to turn on him yeah okay yeah, yeah. spoiler <laughs> <laughs> no the, but the point is i rewatched these movies because the last two are directed by matt reeves who is directing the batman Mm. which comes out in about a week now Mm -hmm. um and i was just curious to take a look at like reevaluate those movies because i hadn't seen them since they came out so the last one came out in 2017 and goddamn they're i probably appreciate them even more now because they're they're absolutely monumental achievements in in film and and in film like 
special effects technology because the the things that they're able to accomplish the emotionality uh, that is expressed by the characters by by Andy Serkis and Toby Kebbell and Steve fucking Zahn mm-hmm. who that I had to give an extra half star bump to that War for the Planet of the Apes movie just because of Steve Zahn's performance because he is so goddamn charming I love Steve Zahn oh my god he's incredible he's still he's still funny to me like I'm, I'm <laughs> well into my 30s now and I'm like I still think back my how fucking funny Steve Zahn is no Kyle you should go back and rewatch War for the Planet of the Apes just for Steve Zahn mm. he plays bad ape in it and oh, he's an ape? He's an ape. I didn't even know. I didn't even realize that. Exactly. But that's the thing. is for me, when I watched it, I, was, I knew it instantly. I was like, that's Steve Zahn. <laughs> like, because he just, it, it's Steve Zahn, but as portrayed by a CGI chimp. That's funny. It's incredible. Have you watched Strange Wilderness? I have not, but you've brought it up before. You're not a comedy guy, but it, I would recommend It's probably one of the best things that Happy Madison has done besides Grandma's Boy. Uh, and also no Adam Sandler, which is pretty great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I rewatched these uh, Planet of the Apes films, and I, I've said a few times already, but I'll say it again: they are incredible. Mm. And uh, it, it's interesting because I, I was starting to see some like reasonable explanations as to why Matt Reeves would get the Batman gig, like yeah. just based on the contents of his two Planet of the Apes films. I, I don't know if I've seen any of his other work, but um, one. Uh, he has that that ever so valuable uh, skill in Hollywood of being able to play with other people's toys. J.J. Uh, Abrams' entire career, except for what Lost, uh, is based on this idea of I can jump into someone else's franchise, have my way with it, but be respectful of it and walk away and leave it leave it clean and shiny for whoever steps into the director's chair next. Okay. So think of it this way. J.J. Abrams gets the Star Wars gig. See, he does the Force Awakens, right? He does the first. He does first and the third. So uh, he does Rise oh. of Skywalker also. <laughs> Force Awakens is great. And then he did, he did Star Trek before that. He did Mission Impossible three before that. Like he he has a long running history of jumping into franchises, kind of reigniting them or or just like centering them. Not not even like reinventing the wheel. Just kind of like bringing them back to basics. Start like. The, the Force Awakens is back to basics the movie it's great it's great though it, May- it, it works really well and then you have the follow up by Ryan Johnson that is incredible incredibly divisive it's half good <laughs> that, that that movie just set the internet on fucking fire yeah. <laughs> like like that that is one of the most divisive franchise films I think in recent history yeah um, I think in retrospect I probably appreciate it a lot more than I did the first time I watched it, because because it is daring. Like it does take a lot of cha- a lot of chances. Again, it's very pretty to look at. Um, maybe the most aesthetically pleasing of those most recent Star Wars movies, um, but it stepped a little bit too far outside the box. Such that you know the Disney Corporation had to say, "Hey, JJ, you want to come back?" <laughs> yeah, but so did JJ do all three of the Star Trek movies? Or no, Which... uh, I think Justin Lin. Did a beyond that the third one yeah i was gonna say that third one was awful <laughs> um and the third star wars movie is i mean probably it's, my favorite one it's <laughs> laughable the force awakens is good genuinely good but yeah. the third one revisiting it's so it's so silly it's a lot of rise, fun. rise of skywalker is it's a so fucking mess it's 
I really like it. We only have five minutes to spend on any planet we visit in this film. We uh, gotta go. I don't know. I might rewatch that tonight. Uh, oh my, that movie had me laughing in the theater so hard. I was like, this is fucking trash. Yeah, the first... The, the end of it is like... So how much anime did the production crew watch before we mm. made this fucking movie? Because <laughs> this this ends like a bad anime. <laughs> Say what you will, the, the Emperor is terrifying in that last sequence. Oh, pish, I, pish posh. Oh, man. I, I'm I, not afraid of strobe lights. <laughs> I, thought he was, I thought he was creepy. Uh, <laughs> he was really creepy. I mean, he looks like the Cenobite from Hellraiser 2 on the, the, the wiggly worm head I've, thing. I've seen those first two movies, but I've only seen a collective eight minutes i think of those two films because that's all you need <laughs> those two films are about 18 minutes i mean that, that's probably all of the cenobites exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it is i mean the first movie's a different beast altogether like yeah. it's it's the hellbound heart or whatever mm-hmm. it's a totally different anyway matt reeves what i was getting at was like he he has played like by jumping into the planet of the apes franchise not only that jumping in to the sequel like he didn't direct that first movie i think yeah. someone named rupert wyatt who i thought that that rise of the planet of the apes is a fine movie it's not on the same level as the two other ones but it's a fine movie but if you look at his filmography it's like he has had a bad run of luck man mm. like like it hasn't really worked out well for him uh, which is strange but anyway matt reeve jumps into this franchise at part two so he, he had to like he was handed the keys to the castle and ended up being respectful of it took a lot of chances and for goddamn it worked out it it didn't end up like a ryan johnson star wars where it pissed off the fan base or whatnot he, <laughs> he innovated and he actually like gets dangerously close to like subverting expectation expectations in like deeply unsatisfying ways by the time you get to war for the planet of the apes um but i i have a lot of respect for that like I really enjoyed that movie, despite I, uh, it's, it's 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 need to basically take all of your expectations and toss them out the window. But from a thematic standpoint, it all made sense. It's like it was very consistent within itself. Um, so you have that you have that skill set being brought to the Batman, which is of course a, a long running franchise that's like. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's only been like Ever what forty fucking movies or whatever. <laughs> does his, do his parents make it? I can't. I don't remember. know, Kyle. I don't know about those those Wayneses. <laughs> um, the point is, I, I rewatched those because I wanted to see like, I wanted to get a feel for what maybe I can expect for this this the Batman. I have no idea what to expect, and I'm kind of excited about that. Like, I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know. What we're going to be introduced I'm, to, what the villains are going to be like. I, I kind of get a sense of what the Penguin's going to be like. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of just excited to not know how this is going to play out. Yeah, uh, that's kind of where I'm at too. I think the last time we spoke about this, and by the way, I isolated that clip and I, I threw it up there on the YouTubes. What was that? Uh, uh, you and I talked about the Batman for about, well, about a half an hour uh, when we talked about District B thirteen. Oh well. well. Um, but I, I took about five minutes of it and I, gotcha. I, I threw a clip of it up there on the YouTube. But um, yeah, actually, I think both by design, like both of us by design, we've actually stayed away from some of the marketing of it, just because I'd rather not know what it is. Yeah. Um, I'm having a lot of fun speculating as to what it might be, uh, but for now, I'm, I'm content to just remain in the dark and just sit down in the theater when it comes out and give it a whirl i'll be there with my junior mints okay 
Um, yeah, so some of the other things that I've been watching, um, I'll just kind of, I can kind of gloss over a couple of them real quick. Uh, I did finally get to The Last Duel. Uh, I'm a huge Ridley Scott fan, as you know. Um, and I'm not going to watch that Versace movie, because uh, apparently it is hot garbage. Oh, you mean you mean Versace. Versace. Uh, House of Gucci. House of Gucci. There we go. <laughs> one of those. Gucci, Versace. Yeah, I couldn't remember which one. It's Versace, Kyle. <laughs> Uh, I've heard from a few sources that it is absolute trash. Um, it sounds like delightful trash, though. I, yeah, apparently the accents are a huge part of it, and apparently not a big part of it at all, because <laughs> because nobody really committed that much. Uh, the Last Duel, although a good movie, it was, again, kind of like like kind of a letdown for me, because uh, for different reasons. Uh, Last Duel, they marketed it as something completely different than what it actually is. Um, and although it is a good movie, don't go into it thinking that this is going to be a, an action period piece because it's actually uh, much more of a drama. And uh, if you're a Ridley Scott fan, I think you'll like it. But again, don't go into it thinking that it's an action movie. Yeah, folks at home, uh, Kyle actually, <laughs> he advised me to watch Rantlers instead of The Last Duel. Yeah. Um, because uh, we... You know, the whole point of this this coffee talk episode is we didn't really want to get into heavy, like, heavy analytical discussions about stuff. He was like, The Last Duel has a lot more layers to it that it's going to turn into a big whole thing. And also Rantlers is considerably shorter. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's interesting about The Last Duel is that um, I wasn't exposed to any of the marketing for it, really. Mm. Um, So I thankfully won't be going in with the incorrect expectations so I'm actually kind of interested. I, okay. I, I really do want to watch it. Um, it's It still sounds really fascinating to me. Um, it looked like the images and some of the clips I've seen, it's got that Ridley Scott charm. He doesn't make ugly movies. Uh, from a production design standpoint, the costuming and, and makeup and stuff look really on point. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm actually very excited to watch it. Okay. Um, that's all I have to say about The Last Duel. That's fine, bud. <laughs> uh, and then I'll just gloss over real quick. Uh, huge, I'm, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. Uh, and if you're not, I don't understand why. Uh, yeah, do you do, not like film? Do you not like film? Uh, you should be watching Wes Anderson films. Uh, French Dispatch, which is also one that I've been waiting for for a while. It was supposed to come out, I believe, in 2020. Um, it's probably his greatest accomplishment as far as like sets and mm-hmm. like sets, scale, uh, his actors, like his, he has his stable of people and a few additional people. Um, I didn't know what it quite was. Like I didn't, I just watched like a brief like part of the trailer and like I don't care. That's it. It's done. It's a Wes Anderson, a new Wes Anderson film. I'm gonna watch it. Uh, so I went into it. I, if you haven't watched it yet, I'll, I'll tell you what the movie's about. A a newspaper is going out of uh, is basically being shut down. So what they do is they reprint three of the of the editor's like favorite stories or like the owner's favorite stories so what you're seeing is a retelling of these three different stories it's kind of jarring when you first get into it because you're jumping between um present day and then when the stories are taking place so it was kind of confusing for a little bit but once i got like figured out what was happening i'm like oh okay so this is actually really interesting um it's really good i i highly recommend it um if you're, you're a first time wes anderson person i would Go back. Go back to some older stuff. Royal Tenenbaums, um, Steve Sisu, uh, something like that, or even Grand Budapest before you jump into it. Because if you go into it, you're not 
it's a little bit longer and it's a little more dry. It, like there's not as much the there is Wes Anderson humor, but not as much as uh, some of his other films. I would so say benefits from having an educated palate. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, if you were to place it like ranking wise Ooh. amongst his filmography, where do you think you'd throw it in there? I mean, I think from my subjective standpoint, I think I give it maybe top five of them i my obviously one of my favorite films is grand budapest um it's high kyle, kyle bought it for me by the way yeah he, it's he insisted i have it on my shelf and what, i did watch it it didn't it didn't sit there collecting dust i did no. watch it i'm not i'm not that much of a shit deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i think for me it goes grand budapest uh moonrise kingdom um and then i'd go uh god damn it what is it royal tenenbaums Steve Sisu, and then actually, I think I'd go, I'd go um, French Dispatched over uh, A Life Aquatic. Okay. Um, I think that's probably where I go. I'm really not very well versed in his filmography. I, I've seen um, Rushmore um, and Grand Budapest, and that might be it. <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom is very charming. It, I, I remember you were you were picking movies for me when we were shopping. Like on the Av the other day, and I think you actually like pulled out the Royal Tenant bombs mm-hmm. for a second. I love it. It's yeah, it's you're great. Like maybe <laughs> not today though. Great Gene Hackman. If you're a Gene Hackman fan, I really love Gene Hackman. He, you, he's, he's great. I miss Gene Hackman. He's he's like one of those elements in Hollywood that I feel like in absence. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we don't have that. You do feel it. We don't have that curmudgeonly intense guy in Hollywood right now. Like it, like he just. Mm, he's an ornery bastard but i love him <laughs> he's ornery he can be intimidating but he's also got a voice that he like it's crazy if you look at his performance in enemy of the state where he's kind of menacing um kind of a dick he's always that <laughs> but but the same voice if you see him in like royal tenenbaums or the birdcage like he's funny as hell yeah yeah no, i i was exposed to a lot of his his 90s work when i was you know in, in the, the 90s, 90s. <laughs> so like crimson tide is like hmm Chef's Kiss, and, uh, <laughs> uh, even The Quick and the Dead. That, that movie, it's a it's a Sam Raimi western. Oh gosh, that I, I have that. wanted to force you to review with me. I tried pitching westerns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that was on the docket until the world went to shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So instead, we did Coffee Talk. But um, look forward to a western month someday. But even in The Quick and the Dead, that movie is of inconsistent quality. It's it's an early Hollywood movie from Sam Raimi, and it's a western movie about a gunfighting tournament he plays the villain in it though and he's fantastic <laughs> he's always fucking fantastic uh two two things i will highlight about french dispatch uh benicio del toro why has he not been in more wes anderson he's not someone you would think would be in a wes anderson film I mean, for for a filmmaker who can be summed up with the word quirky Benicio del Toro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like put these two together. <laughs> and a great Fra- Francis McDormand uh, in there Aww. as well. Oh, and the kid from Dune obviously is in there. Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, he's yeah, of course. His he's bone in. structure is unsettling. He's fast. He's, he's he yeah. looks like he was made in a lab. <laughs> no, he look he looks like he was manufactured in a lab to take good selfies. His cheekbones are too prominent. He's like if, his his lines are unnerving. <laughs> he's like if uh, if Tim Burton. 
uh, <laughs> if Tim Burton created like something that looked like him in a lab, it's like this is what I want to look like. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, hey, hell no! <laughs> like that looks like look me, at, right? <laughs> this is me, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, there. I think there's a photo of him, like from a photo shoot, as Edward Scissorhands, mm. and he's he's playing the new Willy Wonka. Oh, so connections. Revolutions. Revolutions. <laughs> uh, and then I won't really talk about it at all, but if you haven't seen the Midsummer Director's Cut, I highly recommend it. Uh, I think I te- did I tell you personally or did I text you saying that in the theatrical version of the original version, there's that, that painting that basically tells you what's going to happen in the movie. That's a completely different painting in the film. So you don't know, like you, the, the film's not telegraphed to you what's going to happen. Uh, and there are extra scenes that kind of make some of the other parts of the movie make sense. So, superior? Um, I think it's better. Yes, I do think it's superior. And again, same with the CGI discussion. This is coming from a man who a shorter runtime is usually a perk. Yes. Usually a plus. Yes. So that's the, the high praise. High praise. <laughs> uh, and uh, yes, the uh, the tripping is... I think... I didn't notice it before, but I, I think I might have mentioned before like what it's like to be on Mushrooms that he captures perfectly in that film. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. you telling me that. Yeah. By the way, the most recent uh, Tales from the Shelf episode, uh, we had the Movies for Life people, uh, Brian and Michelle, uh, from their podcast, as well as Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. And uh, Brad actually shared um, that exact same uh, A24 super duper uh, big old yellow box uh, mm. edition of the director's cut of Midsommar. Um, it was a good gift. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, I, I figured you would appreciate it. Yeah. Um, was it uh, Ari Aster? Kind of, kind of your, kind of your guy. He's got two <laughs> movies out, and they're both fantastic. I can't wait to see what he has next. Yeah, uh, Robert Eggers and Ari Aster. They seem to leapfrog each other, or at least like release things parallel to each other. So look forward to both of those, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've got a couple others on here, but I'll let you, I'll switch it up. Let you go here. Okay. Well, I I just have a couple of brief ones, I guess. Um, Scream Factory, uh, that would be the DVD uh, or Blu-ray uh, publisher. Uh, they put out a lot of horror movies. Uh, Scream Factory is the label they use for horror say, releases. I recognize the, yeah. Shout Factory, I think, is the parent company. Okay. So they put out other non-horror related yeah. titles. Uh, they very recently put out uh, the 1980 film Alligator on a 4K, and I actually bought that because I saw it as a kid on like TBS or something. And as I've said, I love me a creature feature. Uh, I love monster on the loose movies. Uh, <sighs> I was raised on the Ray Harryhausen um, and Jaws in particular, and Alligators very much biting off of that. Kyle just, he had to hold his heart just now, folks. He has an announcement, apparently. Sorry to derail you. I was just, I was looking up Rose Glass and see if she had anything in the works. I'm like, oh, she doesn't have anything going on right now, but I checked Ari Aster. Oh, it's in production. Uh, it has, it is initial release 2022. is going to be coming out this year, apparently. Disappointment Boulevard. Horror drama, so he's staying in horror. That's that's good. But I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna go ahead and give you some of the uh, the cast real quick, and you tell like you try to not keep your your hand off your heart, okay? Uh, Deep breaths, Kyle. Deep breaths. Out the gate, Joaquin Phoenix. Who? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, Nathan Lane. That's a spicy meatball. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went off of those two. Everybody, Parker Posey, um, and then a bunch of other people I've never heard of. Um, uh, Michael Gandolfini, uh, Meryl Streep. Oh, s- fucking Streep. <laughs> Amy and uh, Amy Ryan. You would recognize her if you saw her. Okay. 
Um, yeah. So I saw Joaquin Phoenix and like Ari Aster, Joaquin Phoenix horror drama, sold. Oh <laughs> wow! Uh, they will do beautiful things together. I'm yeah. I'm um, terrified. And, and fuck! You brought Streep. Uh, brought the noise. <laughs> brought the thunder. Oh, and if nobody if if nobody's ever seen an interview with Ari Aster. He is up there with Scorsese as far as, like, friendly interview. Like, he is... Arias is just smiling the whole time, talking about... He's the smiliest director. From what you see of his content to seeing the director, you're like, Huh, you did that. (laughs) You did this. Okay. (laughs) Do yourself a favor and check out an interview with Ari Aster. And uh, he's... He's just so nice. And he's so affable. Wow, thanks for the update. Because mm-hmm. I, I know uh, Robert Eggers has The, the Northman uh, mm-hmm. coming out. Um, that, that movie looks pretty fucking cool. Um, it's got uh, Skarsgård? Alexander? Uh, the non-Skarsgård. It's one of those. <laughs> Wait, is he one of the Scars Guards or? I don't. It's either Sars or Scars. Sars and Scars. Oh yeah. I, I get I them so remember. fucking jumbled. There's too there's too many Sars and Scars, but it's the one who played Tarzan. Oh, uh, okay, the actual Scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the one with the abs. You yeah, know? It, the good looking one. The yeah. one who still has the abs yeah. <laughs> because he's he's shirtless in the north. Um, anyway, it looks incredible. And Ethan Hawke's in there, by the way. Ooh. Yeah, uh, stacked cast, but he's he's amongst them. But. Sorry to derail you there. I, I, oh yeah. no, no, that was that was absolutely worth our time. Uh, that, that's exciting. Yeah, it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actively excited right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I, I purchased uh, the 4K disc of Alligator and I I watched it. I had seen it before, but I think I'd only seen it edited for television. So. Mm. It's a little bit more violent uh, when it's unedited, <laughs> and I appreciate the, the violence. Um, alligator kills are meant to be ugly. They're pretty nasty, yeah. Um, I remember that was like one of the, like, I forget where I read it, but it was an objection to Jurassic Park, of all things. A contemporary, critical, like, shut the fuck up! <laughs> exactly. I was like, you you hold your fucking tongue. Um, I think it was somebody like on the production of Carnosaur, so that would be the Roger Corman. They're the ones fucking talking shit? It's their job <laughs> to promote their movie that was released the same calendar year as you know that what, other dinosaur movie. You know what Steven Spielberg got wrong? <laughs> you, know, you know what Spielberg got wrong? Dinosaur, dinosaur attacks are meant to be violent. <laughs> yeah. There ain't no violence in that PG-13 dinosaur film. <laughs> some bullshit (laughs) yeah but that was an actual objection i remember reading in like 1993 uh about jurassic park was that it wasn't violent enough because a dinosaur attack is meant to be messy yeah and you know alligator thankfully is a it's an r-rated violent movie i think it's r-rated i I couldn't tell you actually but it's from 1980 robert forster uh, in the lead. Oh, okay. I said that like Jody Chody Foster. Jody, Robert Forster. Yeah. Robert Forster. <laughs> Cho- Chody Foster. <laughs> no, you ain't yours. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm watching Silence of the Lambs yep, tonight. It's going to be within the next 72 hours. I will be watching Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Um, we got Robert Forster's in it. Uh, he, he brings um, some warmth and some depth to a film that does not need it. Um, he's balding in the front. And he actually like incorporates that into his character, where he or he's like a, a detective who's had a, a, a stretch of bad luck, and he's feeling a little emasculated. He's feeling a little like he's losing it, you know. And it's ev- as evidenced by Robert Forster's real life dwindling hairline. <laughs> Did you ever have um, a moment when you were a kid and you were like you were probably like very young and you remember a scene from a film vividly, but you never knew where it was from and you've never found it again? 
Yes, I can't recall a specific example, but it, I have a few. I just found, I just figured out a film that I, I had that happen. I, I always remember, because I'd seen Home Alone, I remember there was a scene where John Hurd is shot in a hotel room, and I never knew what film it was. And I knew it was like in the early 90s when I watched it. I just, I remember that one scene. And for some reason, I saw him, and like, it had to be from the 90s, and I saw this, uh, him in The Manchurian Candidate. Oh. And I'm like, I wonder if that's what it is. And it's that. He's in a hotel room, and Stanley Tucci shoots him and kills him. And I remember, Tucci? Yeah, because I remember because I remember blood hits the television screen, and then next, Tucci's wearing a hat. I remember it was a weird like segue in a film, and it was the Manchurian Candidate. And there's a scene in there where John Hurd, who has a very poor physique. Uh, just the way, Always has, yeah. by the way, <laughs> since, has, since the 80s. He has a very poor even physique. Even playing tennis in big. Yeah, oh, I forgot. He's such an asshole in that movie. I don't get it. <laughs> him and the Sopranos, Jesus. Ooh, um, ooh, yeah, yeah. But him, he's he's walking around with a towel on, and he's like looking in the mirror, like looking <laughs> at his gut. And no, that just that just came back to me. I just forgot about that. Yeah, uh, transition. Uh, beautiful transition, by the way. Uh, alligator's fun. It's not brilliant by any means. It does putter a lot in the midsection, like like a lot of these creature features tend to do it's like we need to fill time because the special effects are difficult and expensive we don't have the money what effects are there are pretty fun there's a a lovely sequence at a wedding that chef's kiss it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna have a a monster movie at a wedding like yeah that's how you do it Um, but anyway a seamless transition here i also watched chud oh uh cannibalistic humanoid underground wow, dwellers that was a perfect segue yeah nice which is headlined by john hurd yeah and daniel stern and daniel stern both from home alone fame uh, but this was pre home alone but anyway um a podcast that both kyle and i listened to recently did a review of chud um kyle had told me long ago that Chud sucks it's awful but it was on my mind i decided to take a chance on it uh, and yeah, I can confirm Chud mostly sucks. It's not. It's not bad. Like, what's the? Um, oh, the who's the guy who plays RoboCop? Peter Weller. Peter Weller. What's the the underwater film we did a review of? Oh, Leviathan. Leviathan. We didn't do a review. Yeah, we we, were, we, we were, it was on the docket, yeah. but we I think I vetoed it. Leviathan is bad. It's not a good movie, yeah. but it's in, still enjoyable to kind of watch. I just also Daniel Stern. Also Daniel Stern. <laughs> <laughs> It's enjoyable to watch because there's production and it's oh, yeah. it's yeah. it's still kind of interesting to watch, but ultimately it's not very good. Chud is just like there's nothing there. There's nothing going on. It's like what I said about alligator about it farting around in the middle. Chud is just that. It's literally that. Ch- Chud just farts around, um, and I guess there's certain aspects of it. like the from a performance standpoint. I don't know why you would watch Chud for the acting performances. Um, every like everybody who's here is really giving their all. Like mm-hmm. there, there are good acting performances. The only problem is it's in service to what? Like, like we have a scene where Daniel Stern and John Hurd are ripping into like the city administration officials. It's like this like heartfelt rant about uh, about oh. the the man's inhumanity to man and like the government's like inability to take to take necessary steps to protect its own populace and stuff in chud (laughs) you're segueing into two films for me that i had on my list perfectly but we'll segue when we're there well point is chud chud farts around a lot it it doesn't have it doesn't have pace 
Like, it, it, there's it, nothing there, really. It, it, there's creature design is subpar. Even it's like not even that great. Yeah, it it it's not great. Uh, they do their best to shoot around it. Like they do their best to like light and and edit the sequences with the chuds correctly like to so as to make it look as good as it can mm-hmm. so I, all credit to them it is put together pretty well but it just has no pace very little tension the soundtrack is actually kind of fun in like a retro synth vibe sort of way but there's a 10 minute stretch in the finale that it's just like a you know it's just like a a drum beat mm-hmm. that just plays for 10 solid minutes it's like are we gonna is there going to be any variation here? Are we just going to play the? Are we just going to hit the auto button on the synthesizer and walk away for ten minutes? Because that's what it sounds like. Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop, Axel Foley going to get those drugs. That's exactly. I still remember. Is it Judge Reinhold? Yeah. D-D-O-J-S-I-O-C is his title in Beverly Hills 3. Wow. Like, I haven't even seen that one. Oh. I've seen the first two, but not the third one. He's like, what are you, uh, D-D-O-J-S-I-O-C? He's like, the J.J. Jojo C? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> pretty much, it's pretty good. Uh, Judge Reinhold is, like, he, he had a minute there. Mm. Like, he didn't have a long run, but I always appreciate him. Like, Gremlins, Gremlins and, uh, and uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He was good in those. Beverly Hills Cop. I like him. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Anyway, uh, th- I don't have a whole lot to say about Chud other than Kyle correctly advertised it to me. Uh, he told me what it was, and it was that. <laughs> it was that. <laughs> anyway, you said you had a couple others you could Yeah, so to. you reminded me of two that I watched. Uh, I'll gloss over the... Not really gloss over too much, but one that reminds me is... Uh, I watched The Hunt for Red October. Uh, you know I'm a sucker for uh, subs... Like a submarine movie, uh, Doss Boot is same here. Yeah. yeah, Doss Boot's one of my favorite films. Another movie Kyle made me watch, and yeah. I'm really glad he did because I knew it Excellent. by reputation. Wolfgang Peterson before he was working in Hollywood and stuff, and yeah, it's it's as good as they say. It's three hours and twenty minutes long, but it's it, phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, I made my dad watch it. We had to split it up in between oh, two days. Oh, I mean, that's a good dad movie, though. It really is. Submarine movies in general, I think, are good dad movies. <laughs> I think that, da- see, Hunt for Red October is more for dads. Uh, but I just, I have to air out, it, actually, both of these films have Sam Neill in it uh, that I'm going to talk about. Uh, I've watched Hunt for Red October. It is insanely boring. Like, if, even for a sub-movie, like, it, I liked the, I liked the set, I like being in the sub that was fun i did like that part of it and some of the underwater stuff but like it's so boring it's literally just dudes in suits talking the whole fucking movie yeah it's more of a political thriller than a military action film Mm -hmm. um part part of the appeal of like the military action subgenre in particular sub movies is jargon Mm -hmm. it's got some tasty jargon man just nothing but it's just like people saying things i don't quite understand but they they deliver the lines with a certain energy where you can piece it together it's like i don't know the lingo i don't know the jargon but you, you like you spend enough time in there and you, you figure out what's going on like crimson tide mm. superior uh in my book anyway to punt for red october also a submarine film but you got denzel and fucking gene hackman butting heads like going toe to toe on a dramatic level repeatedly that movie's fucking awesome i could get into that because those are two dudes that tony really... scott too so oh. uh, yeah it 
I love Crimson Tide. I don't know. Dude, I've got like a list of movies I want to watch when I get back. No, I, I don't know if it holds up by today's standards. Like, I, I'm sure somebody out there would tell me there's something dramatically wrong about it or something. But it's like, I really like Crimson Tide. And um, it has the dramatic aspect of things. Um, but it also has the jargon stuff. Because there's a whole thing about the authenticator throughout the entire movie. Where basically orders are coming down from on high that is it is never explained to us, the viewer. But through repetition and through circumstance, through context, we figure it out. Okay. It's really cool. Um, Hunt for Red October. I, I have, I have a couple of friends that I grew up with who were really, really into it. They saw it when they were young, and mm-hmm. it just like it, it hit them at the right time, I guess. I've never loved it myself. Um, I do actually want to rewatch it just because I do like submarine movies. And um, actually, weirdest thing. Uh, the biggest selling point for me today, like in this moment, is the soundtrack. Oh, really? Oh, the the choir, the the men's choir uh, that does the uh, Soviet anthems uh, throughout the film. Oh. Uh, the score is by Basil uh, Polidorus, Conan the Barbarian. Oh. Rubicup. Rubicup. Starship Troopers. <laughs> uh, Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. <laughs> Oh, a couple of those I would admit to. A couple of those I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, Basil Polidorus is another one of those. I mean, it seems to be a running thing. Uh, another one of those entities in Hollywood that I really miss. Mm. Um, he he had a penchant for masculine themes, like like really powerful, memorable themes. And uh, it, the I don't know if it's an actual Soviet like naval hymn, um, but the way it's you maybe he didn't compose it is what i'm getting at like maybe he didn't write it or anything but the way it's utilized in the film as a theme is amazing um but the the idea is that sean connery a russian a russian a russian (laughs) is defecting and there's like a whole like power there's like a, a little struggle it's like Moscow doesn't doesn't know yet, but now they're condemning his actions. But now they're saying that they've sent him out here, but he's trying to get protection by the U.S. It's it's so fucking stupid. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry if you like that movie. It's really dumb. But what uh, what threw me off the most was that I realized what they were doing, even with the casting. And when you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, I already knew what they were doing. Sean Connery is not going to do a Russian accent. I would love for him to try. It would be a lot of fun to see. No, you don't. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen that. But he is a Scottish gentleman who is a Russian submarine commander. Uh-huh. And then he's got Sam Neill as his number two. And then Tim Curry is like one of the other officers. And they do. I did notice it. They're like, they do a little bit. Him like speaking Russian uh, with his voice. And then it just goes into his normal speaking There's voice. There's a really cool shot where I think they're like panning around a desk in the background or something and uh, seamlessly mid-sentence the, the, the audio being spoken, the dialogue being spoken transitions from subtitled Russian to just everybody speaking naturalistically. Yeah. Because logistically, nobody in this room can speak Russian, so let's just have everybody speak, speak English and then have this introduction sequence to let, let the audience know that it's like, yes, we're, we're attempting to establish that should English-speaking characters come into contact with these characters, there will be a language barrier. But I, I don't know. I, I I do want to rewatch it. Um, it's cozy. It is a very is cozy, cozy film. Yeah, I could I could see that much. Yet, uh, baby Alec Baldwin. Oh God, he's a smoke show in that. Like that's like his. Yeah. I think 
That was one of his earliest movies, I think. It's very early in his filmography, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's goofy. He's kind of his his performance is kind of goofy in that movie. Uh, it, it would be worth going back just to see him. Uh, I like him as that character though, Jack Ryan. Yeah, I like him as Jack Ryan. I don't know. I think uh, Ryan Stem listening to another podcast that are covering these movies. This is the first. He's the first Jack Ryan, yeah. but Harrison Ford, I believe, takes over as Jack Ryan. Yeah. Harrison Ford. Uh, Harrison Ford. He uh, he takes over in a Clear and Present Danger, mm. and what's the other one? Patriot Games. Patriot Games. Um, and then Ben Affleck. Uh, he takes over in uh, The Sum of All Fears. Oh. And then uh, Dem Eyes, as I tend to call him, uh, Chris Pine, uh, did a Kenneth Branagh-directed uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. What? Nobody remembers this fucking movie except me. <laughs> I feel like we could do a month of Jack Ryan movies. I mean, there's enough material. Yeah, <laughs> I want to stick to the Harrison Ford ones, obviously. I mean, those, as much those as possible. generally the good ones, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Willem Dafoe's in one of them. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Does he bring a weird sexual energy to it for no reason? Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you horny right now? Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, uh, Jack Ryan. I, I haven't read a Tom Clancy novel, like not a single one. But uh, why would you? You're you're in your thirties. Yeah, <laughs> in I, this decade, I, I missed the window. <laughs> you're a millennial. Uh, although it is baffling how uh, his franchises live on well, well beyond his passing. So if I could, if, if I could have been a time machine, like I, that's like, if I could be a professional athlete, I would be a golfer. Because that's great money, and it does not have the wear and tear in your body like a regular, like a like a regular sport, a contact sport. <laughs> um, if I could go back and be like some kind of writer, I would go back and be like a, a fucking um, rainmaker. What's his name? John Grisham. John Grisham, uh, Stephen King, uh, one of those guys. Because I mean, some of those, at least Stephen King is still writing novels, but like he's had so many of his uh, books turned into films. I'm like, that's. That's where you want to be. You want to be one of those writers where you're just like, I'm just writing movies, basically. Well, and I mean, Hollywood, like, traditionally has leaned very heavily on adaptations because mm-hmm. writing's hard. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, we're lazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, if we can take something that's already half a script and just pay for it and just yeah. be like, is it done? Yeah. Mostly. It's like, okay, here's some money. Give, give it here. Give it to the nerds. <laughs> make a movie out of this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because, like, there's, there's always been that incorrect idea that uh comic books can be like referenced as storyboards it's like it's like yeah these will translate to film it's like no it's a different medium (laughs) it's a different thing don't don't even pretend that um but yeah uh, jack ryan has a long legacy in that uh rainbow fucking six man that uh that game series persists to this day. In fact, it's like one of the biggest Is that Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six? Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. I knew there was a reason. I'm like, Tom Clancy. I'm like, I've heard that name not just with books. It's with... Okay. It's one of the biggest esports games right now. Oh, no shit. And it has been for years. It's big money. Um, and then on top of that, they keep having Ghost Recon games come out like every three years or so. So I've, Like, he's been dead how long? And they keep throwing his name on shit. I've <laughs> never been in the gamer loop. At this point, it, it would be like like someone in their 90s trying to learn how to use a computer. I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. I, I've i basically bowed out. To be honest. <laughs> no, I, like, honestly. Like, uh, I, I haven't bought a console since the PS3. Oh, um, really? Yeah. You don't have any, I didn't notice that. Yeah, you have your PC. Yeah, I, I took that money and I invested it in hardware to, to have a PC that I could do video editing with. And I, I justify the expense by saying, 
I'm not gonna buy consoles anymore. It's just gonna go to video cards and and memory and stuff to yeah. to do, I mean, to do other things with. Yeah, it can do other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's it not, makes more sense. Yeah, it's not just a cal- It's not just a tip calculator. It does other things. <laughs> so what's his face? Uh, Superman. Um, Christopher Reeve. No. George Reeve. Nope. Uh, Brandon up. Ralph. Nope, the other one. Henry Cavill. There we go. <laughs> I had to go through the entire fucking timeline. <laughs> uh, Henry Cavill. He's like he, I think I've told you. I'm like he's nearly he's nearly uh, convinced me to play World of Warcraft because I'm like if this dude is playing World of Warcraft, I'm like it's got to be fun. Like, yeah, his, he could be doing anything else. I mean, he, he's been seen building PCs on webcam. Uh, he very recently and very publicly did an appearance at the uh, Games Workshop. Uh, like, I think it's their headquarters. Those are the people that make the uh, Warhammer mm. uh, miniature figurine tabletop games. Uh, so he, he is at the tip of the spear when it comes to promoting nerd culture. <laughs> Henry Cavill will get you to buy some shit you don't need. Yeah. <laughs> he nearly, he's nearly got me, but I'm like, I need, I'd have to invest in a PC. I'm like, I'm not, re- I'm not ready for that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say this much. It has worked out really well for me. Um, I have actually benefited from having what I need to do what I want when I need to do it. Because, like, for me, it's like if somebody has a dumb idea to make a video or something, it's like, I can do that. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to, like, be like, oh, but I don't have that. It's like, I, need to, I need to get this and this and this. It's like, you know, it, I, it hasn't hurt me too much to bow out of the video game scene. I do get to play a lot of the major releases on PC. There's a lot of indie titles that come out on PC. But from a cultural standpoint, I'm largely out of the loop. Um, and I'm... St- I'm slowly getting comfortable with that like <laughs> like it, it used to mean more to me than it does now but these days i do a podcast with you so yeah. it, it keeps me occupied <laughs> uh what else you got on your list uh that's about all i have on my list um i have a i have a significant backlog um resident evil uh, yeah. welcome to raccoon city is one that i do plan on rewatching and hopefully reviewing someday in in depth because i do have a lot more to say about it um, I just didn't want to blow my wad all at once today. Um, <laughs> I did pick up a copy of the Eternals. Cause, oh my gosh. Uh, or, no, it's just Eternals. No, the. Um, I haven't watched that yet, but uh, I have heard some shit. Um, but I am a collector. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's got a place on the shelf whether it's good or not. Um, and what else? What else? Uh, to quote Chris Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to give uh, No Time to Die another look, the most recent James Bond film. I did see wow. that in the theater with the girlfriend, and uh, that was excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, I've got an endless backlog, uh, also consisting of a Criterion title that uh, Kyle oh, was yeah. kind enough to get for me. Uh, that would be uh, Bill Duke's uh, Deep Cover, mm-hmm. uh, headlined by Lawrence Fishburne. I haven't had the time to watch it just yet. I was too busy watching Rantlers and Chud. <laughs> but I really do hope to get to that ASAP. But uh, how about you, Kyle? You got anything else? Uh, yeah, so I did. I've Going back um, through, um, what do you call it? Uh, the Sopranos. I never watched The Sopranos. So I'm going through that right now. James Gandolfini. I'm really missing him now. I, never, I didn't really have a, a connection with him before because I'd never seen The Sopranos. Excellent. It's pretty great. A little intense right now. I've had to take a break. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just just finished the uh, the Peacemaker. Peacemaker? 
I think it's just Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Um, excellent show that nobody's talking about on HBO Max. Uh, you don't have Twitter. I don't have Twitter. That's true. <laughs> that is true. That is fair. Um, yeah, it's excellent. You should definitely be watching it. Um, and that's what much. That's pretty much it for that. But I do want to talk just a minute about a film that I am. I've wanted to watch for a while now, and I had a crappy bootleg of that I tried to sit down and watch, but it was just too too crappy for me to watch. But it's uh, Possession from 1981. Um, if you're if you're a horror fan, I'm sure you just kind of maybe sat up a little bit. Maybe Brad Brad might have perked up if he was listening to it. Yeah, butt cheeks clenched for a second oh, there. Oh, oh possession. <laughs> uh, yes, um, if you if you are uh, keeping tabs on uh, Blu-ray releases, it's a fairly recent Blu-ray release, uh, and I managed to get the last copy that they had at uh, Scarecrow Video in uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, go there if you uh, <laughs> if you're ever going to visit. Um, it is bizarre. It is a bizarre film. Uh, it has Sam Neill and I forget the actress's name. Um, it very strange. I'm not sure what I took from it. Isabel Adjani. Um, yeah, she hasn't been been in too much else. Um, it the best way for me to describe it. This is probably going to piss off some Lynchians, but uh, it's like if you gave uh, if you punched David Lynch in the face and then gave him a bunch of cocaine. And said, "Go, go film a movie." So he's pissed off and hyped up, and go film a movie, because the performances are—it's very strange performances uh, for both actors. Uh, she does a fantastic job, though. There are some there are some scenes in there that are just like, wow, like pretty noteworthy. Um, but the structure of the film and like what's happening—it's it's bizarre, and it's one I, I want to let you borrow. Um, I don't know what you'll get out of it though. It's 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 just kind of something you have to experience to truly understand. But uh, it's enough that I'm going to continue with this uh, director's uh, few, uh, at least one other of his films. Um, the third part of the night is one I'm going to check out. I mean, this director's passed away. His name is uh, oh god. I think he's Polish, by the way. On uh, Andrzej Zulowski, I think is his name. He passed away in 2016. Um, yeah, bizarre film. Uh, but I'll have to let you borrow it so you can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. No, it, it, uh, I know it by reputation very, very well. And uh, you should have seen Kyle's face when he saw it at Scarecrow Video. He yeah. was like, sold! Sold, give it to me. Instantly. Yeah. Uh, apparently it was going for high prices online. So uh, this is something that Kyle's been searching for um, actively. Um, so to find it like just in the wild was, was kind of yeah. exciting for him. Um, but... Yeah, I know this film by reputation, and uh, really funny, uh, on our most recent uh, Tales from the Shelf, uh, we had, again, Brian and Michelle from uh, the Movies for Life podcast, and both of them, I mean, the whole concept of that show is that we show, we show off our wares. It's like show and tell with your movie collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two of them actually both uh, showed off their, uh, I think it's the Mondo Macabro uh, edition of that film which is gorgeous to look at like the box is it, it the gray one yeah that one was like a hundred dollars that's why i was like i didn't buy it because it's really expensive yeah so uh, the edition that kyle got was the australian i think the umbrella entertainment uh mm-hmm. blu-ray which funny enough on the back of it says it's region b uh, which would mean foreign by american standards it plays on my blu-ray player but that's false advertising it plays on his region a player just fine so mm-hmm. that i mean if you weren't aware of that folks uh, maybe don't spend buy, yeah. yeah, buy it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, uh, they both had a lot of really interesting things to say about the movie on on that episode. And uh, one thing that was 
uh, mentioned by both of them is that you gotta watch it twice. I, okay. You, yeah. you you gotta watch it twice because they. I, I think uh, Michelle in particular was like, I, I'm not sure what. Like, I think to quote you directly, I think I'm not sure what I got from that or I'm not sure what I took away from that. But upon rewatching it, it's like, oh, that was great. <laughs> like, um, both of them have like very high praise for that film. Um, so I'm really excited to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's its description and its reputation are not don't translate to what you actually get. So. I I don't even have a plot summary to work from. I've, okay. ju- I've just seen a couple of images of people making uncomfortable facial expressions and looking really deeply unhappy together. <laughs> <laughs> like you'd think Sam Neill because he's the one you know out of the film is the better one. She's she's fantastic in the film. Like, oh, it, I, I it's don't quite doubt a performance. It. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think Tarkovsky bashed the shit out of it. <laughs> He's kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't have expected another filmmaker to go out of their way to talk shit about someone else, but sure, whatever. Oh, he, he there was like a list of movies, like, of like kind of big titles. He's like, fuck this movie. Like, this well, is shit. I mean, when did, when did Tarkovsky pass away? Uh, I think in the 80s. Okay, so pre-podcasting. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been dangerous to have that available to them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, pull up a seat. I'm going to talk some shit. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, start he, a Twitter feud. <laughs> he passed away in 86. Yeah. Oh, man. That's the kind of personality, though. You give him the Twitter or a podcasting platform, and ooh, it's going to be rough. You're going to be deplatformed three or four times in the next few years. Yeah, sorry, Tarkovsky. I saw The Stalker, and I barely stayed awake, dude. You know, that's another movie. I, I know it by reputation. I don't know what that means, actually. I just know it's, quote, good. Uh, I don't. It's one of those movies that's like, I don't even know what it is. I've seen a couple of images from it, most of which were supplied by watching Atomic Blonde. <laughs> um, and then I have Kyle's uh, opinion of it. Uh, so that's that's one that... There's far too many movies that I, I quote, should watch. Um, and actually, the, the girlfriend has been on my case about that. She's getting tired of me using that word. She's like, Just start watching it. She's like, you, like, you really gotta stop, like... Say, saying that, or at least like thinking that and verbalizing that. <laughs> Sundays, man, that's the perfect time. You start a, I mean, if you start at like four or five, that's plenty of time to get through Criterion. Well, it, it's not even like should you hit the play button on it. It's more like, mind the move. Well, what 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 is it that makes you feel that way? Because yeah. because like folks at home, like like Kyle and I both said on this very recording, like we both appreciate different things in mm-hmm. film, and you know just. Just because there are films that are, quote, like, legendary or, like, monumental films in the history of the medium doesn't necessarily mean you have to love them. Um, I mean, but when you're, when you're dealing with these sort of things, it, you feel like almost an obligation to, like, seek those things out and, like, expand your horizons and, like, yeah. like educate your palate and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's like, I like people punching people on yeah. film. Like, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> that is my favorite thing. Right up there with... Japanese men, undersized Japanese men wearing rubber costumes doing body slams on each other. Those are my favorite things in film. I don't know that that translates to me enjoying Tarkovsky. <laughs> Kurosawa has uh, 60s, um, 60s like crime films. Yeah. I nearly watched one, last, a couple of them. I was like, oh, I could watch this tonight, I could watch this tonight. I'm going to go Resident Evil. <laughs> I think High and Low was a good one. That High and Low was one that I was going to watch. There's yeah. another one. Um, if you want to do, if, if you want if you want inspiration, go with Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. It's a French black and white slapstick about a guy going to the beach. 
Sounds awesome. <laughs> Sold. Oh. Yeah, that's all I have on. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's about it for me as well. I don't really know how to end this episode of Coffee Talk. Yeah. But, but this was a fun one. I, yeah. I, I would not be opposed to revisiting this, this format someday. Yeah. But yeah, this this episode brought to you by, I don't know. Russia invading Ukraine. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing, but yeah, yeah, that, no. that's the truth of the matter. Um, yeah, just it's it's been a rough few days, folks. So yeah. uh, hopefully this provides some levity. I know it did for me personally, just yeah. being engaged in the conversation. But um, yeah, it, like I know it's ugly, but I'm gonna plug our shit right now. Yeah, uh, it, that's actually something I've really not been able to do. Like, I haven't been able to Twitter, like, mm. in the past few days. Like, normally I'd, like... Who's going to listen? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, is, like, not only does it feel ugly to do it, it's also just, like... Not the right time. It's yeah. not the right... So, I, like, I ha- I have not been, like, plugging shit that I probably should be. Like, I've even done, like, collaborations with people that do feel kind of bad. It's, like, probably should have said something about that. It's, yeah. like, that's not... Just not feeling it right now. So, I've, I've just not been posting anything. <laughs> that's okay. Um... Except for this, this will be posted. Yeah, because we got a schedule, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, if you want to uh, find any of our other stuff online, any of our other catching up on cinema content, you can find all of that on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias, although for the time being we're not especially active. Yeah. Uh, on the Twitter at uh, Catching Cinema and uh, on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, and uh, the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.